At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This year, 2023 at Wildwood, we're going to be diving into the book of 2 Corinthians. In our sermons on Sunday morning, many of the Sundays in 2023, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. If you're with us last year, you know we looked at the book of Revelation most of the year. This year, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. And it's the book of 2 Corinthians, really what we see is we see God connecting us with his mission. Don't you want your lives to matter? Don't you want to be a part of significant things? Don't you want to be used by God, not just even in the temporal things of today, but have an impact that goes on into eternity? The book of 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, reflecting on his life being connected and a part of this significant mission. And as he reflected on that, he not only shares the mission but he also shares who is in control of that mission. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. Our first installment in this is going to be looking at preparation for this mission as we look at the first couple of chapters over the next three Sundays. But before we get there, uh, and before we look at our very first part of this, as we look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 today, I want to kind of set the stage for our study. And I want us to think a little bit about the difference between loss and tuition. Loss and tuition. All of us have spent money on a number of things. And my guess is there are things that we have spent money on that we would consider to be a loss. The car we bought that we shouldn't have, that depreciated and just feels like a loss. It was a money pit. Maybe it was someplace we lived. Maybe it was some, some other things that we have owned in life. They just feel like a loss. But there are other things that we have spent money on that have actually turned into something significant. Things we have spent money on that we don't have that money anymore, but they prepared us for something great. And I would put our tuition that we may have paid for schooling in that category. Now, some of you in a very snarky voice right now are saying, I consider my tuition a loss. <laughs> well, I don't, okay? I don't. I consider the tuition that I paid to the University of Oklahoma and to Dallas Theological Seminary to be great investments because they help prepare me for things later in life. See, there are things that we spend money on that prepare us for something else. I share this today because when we look at the life that God has called us to live and we reflect upon the things that we have lost in this life, the things that have pained us, the things that are paining us even right now, God does not waste that pain. The pain of loss is actually tuition that is preparing us for something great, that is preparing us to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Today, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, as we think a little bit more about how God is preparing us for this mission. And he is preparing us for this mission through his grace in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our loss. 
We're going to look at the first 11 verses today. I want to read these verses for us, and then we'll back up, and I'll make three observations from these verses, help, helping connect them to our lives. So let's read them first. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength, and we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Now, in these 11 verses, we're going to see three things today that will encourage us as we think about how God is preparing us for his mission. What are those things? Well, the first thing that I want us to see is I want us to check the envelope. This book of 2 Corinthians was actually originally a letter. It was a letter that was written from someone to a group of people. Now, in our day, we find out who letters are from and to often by looking at the envelope, right? We we look at the envelope, we see who it is addressed to, and we look up in the upper left corner to see who it is from. In the first century, it didn't really work that way. In order to check the envelope, we don't look at an envelope. We don't have the envelope. But instead, we look at the first couple of verses of this letter. And in those verses, we find out who it's from and where it was going. When we do that, we see that this letter was from Paul and Timothy. Those names ring a bell? They should. They're very significant Christ followers in the first century. Paul was an apostle, originally an opponent of the church. He had become someone who was a a conduit through which the good news of Jesus Christ was shared among the non-Jewish people, the Gentile people, all over the Roman Empire. As Paul went around the Roman Empire sharing this good news, he brought with him a young man by the name of Timothy. And together they went town to town proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ through places like Galatia, through places like Philippi, through places like Athens, and through places like Corinth. So Paul and Timothy had embarked on these missionary trips together, and one of the places they had visited was the city of Corinth, a very significant city in modern-day Greece. Now, 
as they arrived there and they preached the good news, a sizable number of people responded so that Paul and Timothy stayed there for 18 months, planting the very first church in that city. Now, we know that the letter that is written here is going there, not just because of tradition, but because of what the rest of verse 1 tells us. It, It tells us that this letter went to the believers who lived where? In Corinth. And not just to them, but also to the believers that lived in the region of Achaia. Achaia was somewhat of the state. Corinth was the city. We might say something like this. If I were to write a letter to you, to, to, the, to the church at Wildwood in Norman, and that you would share this with all of the believers in all of the churches throughout the state of Oklahoma. That's kind of what Paul does here. He writes and he says, this is not only to you in Corinth, but to all of you who live in this area. Now, Paul had a history with this church, and not just longevity, not just time. I mentioned he was there 18 months But he also had history. You see, the church that was started there in Corinth began to experience some serious problems after Paul left. They began to, if you might allow me to say it, get weird in a lot of of areas. This church in Corinth was dividing into factions. Paul had been there. Peter had been there. Apollos had been there. And the church began to to fracture into factions. People saying, I am in the first church of Paul. And somebody else saying, I am in the first church of Peter. They were experiencing a lack of unity as a church. Not only were they experiencing a lack of unity, they were experiencing huge problems in their morality. There were sexually deviant things that were happening inside of this church that they were tolerating. And not only that, but they were practicing some rather odd things as it related to the spiritual gifts that God had given to that church. And these are just some of the problems they were experiencing. So the Apostle Paul, aware of the challenges and problems that were happening in Corinth, writes them a letter because he cares about them. And that letter, guess which letter that was? It was the letter of 1 Corinthians. You guys are amazing Bible scholars here. He writes them the letter of 1 Corinthians. Why do I know those were the problems they were experiencing? Well, I know that because those are the problems that he details in the letter that he wrote them. So Paul writes them this this letter. And then after he writes them this letter to challenge them, he sends his, his protege, Timothy, back to that city to make sure that they got it. But guess what? They didn't get it. They continued to persist in their problems. So what did Paul do then? Well, he writes them another letter. And you might be thinking, he wrote them the letter of 2 Corinthians. No, 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 let's not get ahead of ourselves. He wrote them a stern letter, a letter that we don't have. We don't know where this letter is. We don't know the content of it. But Paul will tell us in the letter of 2 Corinthians that he wrote them a different letter, a stern letter, rebuking them for not listening to Timothy when he came. And then he sent Titus to reinforce that message. Well, after Titus showed up and after this stern letter, apparently they got it and they repented of some of their ways. But this was not a church that had no problems. This was a church that was struggling in many, many ways. And so given that knowledge, isn't it surprising the way that the Apostle Paul addresses this church in Corinth and in the region of Achaia? He actually addresses them as the church of God. He doesn't say, you sorry so-and-sos in Corinth. 
You people who have worn me out in Corinth. No, no, he says, to the church of God in Corinth. He says, you're a group that God has gathered for his glory and for his purpose. We are connected because of what God is doing in your life. Such a, a, a title of affection he gives to this congregation. And not only that, but he calls them saints. With all of their problems, he calls them saints. Because what made them holy was not their perfect behavior, but it was what Jesus Christ had done for them. And so Paul writes to them and he encourages them and calls them up to their identity of who they were. Now, I I go through this today and, and go through it rather slowly just to emphasize for us the generosity of Paul. I mean, think of the world in which we live today. The world in which we live today that has lots of social media in it just is waiting to cancel pastors and ministries and other believers just to point out their failures and flaws and to disqualify them, to talk about them and call them all kinds of names on social media. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You may have been tempted even to participate in it from time to time. But may we be impacted by the Apostle Paul, who in light of all of the problems that he was aware of in Corinth, dealt with such generosity with this church. Paul Barnett Uh, describes this and reflects on this this way for us. He says, subsequent Christians have not always been as charitable as Paul. There have been many instances where differences over tiny or obscure points of theology have led to bitter division with one group unchurching the other in the name of doctrinal purity. The church in Corinth fell far short of the standards of belief and behavior many since that time have demanded. Nevertheless, Paul addresses the Corinthians as the church of God as God's holy ones, and teaches and exhorts them to behave as if they were. And he writes them a letter. And he begins that letter and he says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a message of encouragement to a people that were still figuring it out. Hey, friends, we're a group of people that are still figuring it out. Amen? May we have an environment of grace and peace in Christ as we live up to the calling that God has made upon our lives. Friends, we need to check the envelope and remember these things. But we don't just check the envelope. We need to keep going. And as we keep going, what we see is that there is comfort in affliction. There's comfort in affliction. You know, when we look at these verses, just, just take a look at verses 4 to 6, one section of these verses that we're looking at today. Just a few verses, three verses. Look at all of the different ways that pain, problem, affliction, or suffering are mentioned. He talks about affliction, affliction, sufferings, afflicted, sufferings, and suffer again and again and again. Now, what's interesting is he mentions these topics, but he doesn't define them for us. He doesn't tell us exactly what was going on. He doesn't say a specific affliction. He just refers to them in this general way. Now, I think this is a a gracious thing that he doesn't refer to them in in a specific way. Because what would we do if he did? If he mentioned specifically what was happening, what would we do? We would begin to say things like this. Well, what he went through is way worse than what I've gone through. Therefore, this must not apply to me. 
Or what I'm going through is way more severe than what he mentions. Therefore, this must not apply to me. That's what we do. We compare, contrast all the time. No, no. He just gives the broad category so that all of us would find a home in these verses. Because when he says afflictions and he talks about afflictions of any kind, who among us has not had afflictions? Who among us has not had difficulty? Who among us has not had seasons of great struggle? The answer is no one. All of us have gone. Now, they're different. They're varied. But all of us have gone through different struggles. Therefore, all of us can find a home here in any affliction that we experience. We find our lives resonating inside of this passage. Sometimes those afflictions are things that happen just because we're living in a broken and fallen world. Sometimes they happen because of illness. Sometimes they happen because of an untimely death. Sometimes they, they happen because of struggles with dementia. Sometimes they happen because of breaks in relationships with people that we love and care for. But all of us experience some different kinds of afflictions. Paul says any affliction because all of us can find a home there. Paul continues though and doesn't just say any affliction. He also talks about Christ's sufferings. And I think that when he goes there, what he is saying is that there is a category of any affliction that all of us can relate to, but there's also a category of Christ's sufferings that some of us can relate to. As we find our identity in Christ and we obey him and we follow him, if we do that long enough in this world, we will find ourselves at odds with the world, being persecuted by the world in which we live. Paul had experienced that. Some in the church in Corinth had experienced that. Some in this room have experienced that, where you have trusted in Christ and you are following him and it's led to side eyes at work or painful conversations over the Thanksgiving table or challenges on your street or difficulties in your dorm room. See, these challenges that we experience along the way at times are because we are following Christ. Not all of the sufferings we experience are that way, but there is a category. And Paul says there's, there are any afflictions, and then there are Christ's sufferings, and these are, are mounting in his life, and they mount in our lives as well. Not only that, but he goes on to say in, in verses 5 and 6 something about the difficulty of leadership. Again, all have experienced any affliction. Some have experienced Christ's sufferings, but also there are some who have experienced the pain of leadership. Paul says, he says, if if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. What Paul is saying is, as your leader, as your spiritual leader, Paul says, I have experienced pain and difficulty. As somebody now who's been in ministry 25 years, I, I can agree with that. There's, there's pain that comes in leadership. Many of you, as you lead a small group or a Sunday school class or just have spiritual influence in your family, you know what it means to experience the weight of leadership and the pain that comes along with it often. Paul writes and he acknowledges any affliction. He acknowledges Christ's sufferings. He, he talks about the, the difficulties that come from leadership. And he doesn't tell us exactly what those experiences were, but we can relate, can't we? we? We begin to lean in as we hear him detail these things. He doesn't tell us exactly what they were, but he does tell us what their effect was, how they affected him. He tells us that in verses 8 and 9. 
He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Friends, we need to sit in that verse for just a moment. And we need to let it impact us. Because there is a version of Christianity. You may have heard it at some point in your life. Which basically is this. If you're a Christian, then everything is going to be awesome. Everything you want, you get. All the money you want, all the health you want. Life is awesome and perfect if you know Jesus. There are a number of problems with that perspective. But one of the chief ones is found in this verse. Because the foremost follower of Jesus in the first century, the Apostle Paul, details his life and he says the effect of living the life that he was living was that he despaired of life itself. He experienced this constricting pressure of the world around him. He felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. The, the picture, just because I you know, grew up in the 80s, remember the, the trash compactor scene in Star Wars? He basically is saying, I'm being compacted in the basement of the Death Star. That was what Paul was saying. I, I don't know if any of you can relate to such things. Make no mistake, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have an incredible hope in eternity. And God's promises are real and there, and he will deliver in every single way as he has promised. But that doesn't mean that our life today will be without difficulty, without affliction, even without moments when we despair of life itself. Well, aren't you encouraged? What if we just closed it right there? There is affliction. Good morning. No, no, no. There, there's more that's said here. It's not just affliction that he details. We can relate to the affliction. But friends, if we are in Christ, there is something awesome. And there is something amazing that is mentioned here. And that is comfort greater than the affliction. In these verses, from verse 3 to verse 7, 10 times, 10 times, 10 times, the word comfort is used. That's remarkable. That, that, that was hard to read when I read it earlier because it's the same word again and again and again and again. Some of our English translations try to vary it just so it sounds interesting. No, 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 it's the same word in noun or verb form mentioned again and again and again on purpose so that we would know who understand that we live in, around affliction and suffering, that we would know that there is comfort available greater than the affliction that we experience. And where does this comfort come from? This comfort comes from God himself. He begins and says, God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, the, the God who sits sovereign over all things, the God who is in charge, the God who sent Jesus into the world, guess what? That God is not detached. That God is not uncaring. That God is not distant. But that God cares for you. And that God cares for me. He says that he is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What a description. The God who sits sovereign over all things is the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. 
in the midst of your affliction. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that awesome to remember and to know? Not only is that in his character, but that's in his actions. Because the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts comforts us in all our afflictions. Amen? He comforts us in all of our afflictions. He doesn't say, well, that's too bad. And he doesn't just distract us. You know, as, as a parent, we get used to this, right? You go someplace and your kids are having a hard time. They feel afflicted. They feel suffering that they have to wait 10 minutes at the oil change place or whatever it is. And so what do we do as a parent? We distract them with candy or our phone. That's what we do. We hand it to them and we say, here, be distracted for a moment. That's not what the Father of mercy, that's not what the God of all comfort does. He doesn't distract us. He personally comes to us and he comforts us. He comforts us. Such a powerful thought. Such a powerful thought. You know, I... I'm in an era of life right now where it's just challenging. It's a challenging era of life. Just to be honest with you, this is a challenging era of life. Um, just in the last month, um, two family members passed away. Um, and then a week ago, one of my best friends did as well. Um, it's challenging. That's in the midst of busy season and lots of other things. I, well, I think about my life. I was talking to, to Mary earlier this morning and I said, you know, I, you know when, when your device has lost its battery and it's down in the red, I feel like my life is in the red right now. You know, I, it's just, just where I'm at. But friends, I can tell you that in the midst of this moment for me, um, I'm so encouraged that the God of mercy and comfort is comforting my heart. I don't know how people deal with life without the God of mercy and all comfort. But here's what I do know. You don't have to. You don't have to. That's part of the reason why we're looking at this verse today. Friends, if you are experiencing affliction and suffering, and who isn't? You don't have to deal with that alone. The Father of mercy and the God of all comfort wants to comfort your heart today. Now, it's interesting, Paul also says that the sufferings that we experience in Christ also come with a special measure of God's grace. In other words, if we are experiencing persecution, know that there is a special grace present for those who are experiencing it. The the persecution in Jesus' name also comes with comfort in Jesus' name. God comes and ministers to us. And so I I want us to just know a couple of things. One of the things I want us to know is this. I want us to know that the God of all comfort wants to comfort you. Can you say that with me? The God of all comfort wants to comfort you. You believe that? I do. I believe it. And collectively, together today, as we say those words, we're reminded that the God of all comfort wants to comfort you in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your affliction. How does he do that? Well, we'll talk a little bit more specifically about this in a moment, but he does it through his word. As we read the promises of God, his, he, he encourages our hearts. He does that through the work of the Spirit. You know, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, and one of the things we talked about was that Jesus called the Holy Spirit what? The comforter. Same word. 
The Holy Spirit comes to comfort, to encourage, to come alongside us in the midst of this difficulty. And he does it through the body of Christ around us, other believers. It's interesting. These three things come together so often, right? When a follower of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, shares a verse of encouragement with you, guess what happens? The God of all comfort and the Father of mercies is delivering his comfort and his care to you. So, the first thing is we need to remember that God of all comfort wants to comfort you. But the second thing we need to remember is this. God wants you to rely on him. He wants you to rely on him. In the midst of those afflictions, in the midst of that suffering, he wants you to rely upon him. I love what it says in verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We, we are called to rely not on our gifts or our experience or our, our friend and network or our net worth, but we are to rely in moments of affliction on God who is able to deliver because he is able to do what we cannot. He can raise the dead. And this comment about his ability to raise the dead is in the present tense. It reminds us that God is the God of today, not just the God of the past or the future. Again, Paul Barnett helps us understand this concept a little bit more as he writes to, to, to ministers, to future pastors, but I think it has application for us as well. He says this, he says, it is good that the great saving acts of God and the historic resurrection of Jesus and the coming resurrection of believers have been set in the creeds of the church. It is, however, very easy to regard this God as remote and distant from our present situation, to think of him as the God of theology and not of reality. Ministers in training need to be taught about the God of yesterday and the God of tomorrow. But if they lack personal confidence in the God of today, how will they help their people in the manifold crises of life? Friends, there is a God of today who wants to come to you in the midst of your suffering and affliction and comfort your hearts this morning. And so I would just encourage you, if you are in the midst of this affliction, might you use this as a personal prayer prompt? God, I am going through X, but you're the one who is able to raise the dead. In this moment, may you comfort and encourage my heart in a way only you can. Friends, we have seen that there is comfort in affliction. But there is another thing that we need to see, another very important principle that we need to see in these verses. And that's not just that there is comfort in affliction, but that is also that the comforted comfort. Those who have received comfort from God are equipped and prepared to comfort others. The pain we have and the loss we experience are intended by God to prepare us to minister to others. We see this in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comes and cares for us. God comes and ministers to us 
not just so that we might be blessed, but so that that blessing might flow through us into the lives of others. Those who have experienced the loss of a child have been prepared by God to pray with and come alongside those who have lost a child later on. Those who have experienced the sting and pain of cancer are prepared by God to minister to those who struggle with cancer. Those who have chronic pain are prepared by God for that. Those who have experienced discord and and strife with their children or with their extended family have been prepared by God to have a special ministry in different ways. God takes us through loss. And in the process of comforting and caring for us, he prepares us to minister to others. What we have received, we are to pass along. Now, we do that by by showing up, by sharing our experience, by putting an arm around someone, by understanding and caring and being sympathetic and empathetic with them in the midst of their moments. But there's another thing that we get to do. And friends, that is we get to pray. And I, I think it's fascinating that the Apostle Paul in verses 10 and 11 talks about the prayers of the Corinthians. Because how do we normally think of prayer? We normally think of prayer something like this. Prayer is just what we, what we say. We say we're going to pray for someone just because it seems like the spiritual thing to do. People go through a hard time and we say we're praying for you, even if we're not praying for them. Because we don't really think that prayer does anything. That's part of the challenge that we have. We think that prayer is just a sentiment, just an idea, just an ideal, like sending a card. We forget that prayer is actually something far more significant. Prayer is actually an opportunity for us to ask the God and Father of mercy and all comfort to bring his comfort and his care into the lives of an individual. Paul saw this experience in his own life. He, he says, he, God delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. But then he talks specifically about prayer. He says, you also, Corinthians, must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says, it is through your prayers that the comfort that God gives is delivered into my life. So do not stop praying. And friends, I would encourage each of you in the same direction. As we have gone through difficulty and as we are around those who are experiencing suffering and affliction, may we never tire of praying for them, of asking God to deliver the comfort that they need. May we do so again and again and again. If you've gone through difficulty, you know how to pray. May we take the opportunity to pray for those in great need. And as we think about that idea, I want to just encourage you to take these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 to 11, and this week, literally do this. Pray these words for someone you know in your life who are going through a difficulty. Just, Just pray through them. God, I know person X. And person X is experiencing deep despair right now because of these circumstances in their life. And they may be even just feeling pressed and crushed 
under the burden of life. Lord, I pray that, that you might deliver them in this moment, that you might give them comfort that only you can give. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all prayed those prayers for the people that God has laid on our hearts this week? And then I would challenge you to do this. If you pray that prayer for someone, let them know that you prayed it. Send them a text. Send them an email. Call them on the phone. Get together with them over lunch. Let them know that you are praying for them in this moment. There's power in that. There was power in that for the Apostle Paul. There's power in that for us because God is at work through our prayers to deliver his comfort to his people. We all would love to be a part of a church that shows up in crisis and a church that prays for the comfort of God to be delivered. Amen? We can do something about that. We can do something about that by leaning into this example and by praying and showing up and being conduits of God's comfort in the lives of others. Friends, the comforted, that's us, are prepared to comfort others. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. I'll conclude with this. He says, when God puts his children into the furnace, he keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the thermometer. Friends, our God is preparing us for his mission. Let's trust him together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just the chance to be together today, to pray for one another, to worship with one another, to encourage one another with these words. Dear Lord, I pray that that we would be a people who would walk in faith this week, praying for each other, being instruments of your comfort and care to one another as we are a part of your work in this world. Thank you so much. We pray that you would guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.